Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast, Theo Beidler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring a song, while the other host has no idea what song's the focus until we hit play. Boom. Let's go. Here we go. Episode four, baby. Oh, man. I'm, I'm, I've been anxious all day about what you might have for me. You know, I told you that this would be a slightly stranger song than we have been doing. I would say it's uh, less of a pop hit, although I guess the, the charts would disagree with me. But I don't think I've ever been this excited to talk about a New Age world beat project. Oh, man. <laughs> Does that give you any sort of uh, clue to what we'll be talking about today? I have some thoughts, but I'll wait until a song comes on. All right. You ready for this? I'm ready. Yes. 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 This is um, Age of Innocence, right? Return to Innocence. Return to Innocence. Not pure moods, but podcast moods. Podcast moods. This song was in so many movie trailers. Yes, it was. So many in the 90s. I don't remember who the artist is. The artist is Enigma. Yes, okay. Which, according to uh, different articles that I've read, it is a German musical group or uh more commonly called a musical project okay oh it's, it's like a uh, like a collective it is mainly one guy a producer uh and then he's he brought in other people but he samples a lot of material which i guess maybe helps with the the project mantra okay his name is michael kurtzu i believe is how you say it he's german but romanian born and he was a producer throughout the 80s okay a very popular producer for his wife sandra that was her stage name uh she was a big pop artist back in the 80s uh late 70s and and 80s would we know any of sandra's stuff we would not uh she had a lot of hits in in europe uh i was not familiar with her ahead of time though but here's a really interesting thing about uh this episode and this song we are actually going to be talking about two songs today because we can't talk about why return to innocence was popular without talking about uh his first album or enigma's first album and a song that is far more popular than return to innocence really so this is this is not their biggest hit what the yes okay uh the band's biggest hit came out in 1991 oh i'm here for uh, this and it is entitled Uh, either sadness part one or sadness part one depending on which part of the world that you come from okay it actually came out in 1990 i think it it hit the charts maybe 91 but it comes from his debut album which was entitled mcmxcad which is the year 1990 very creative this song 
Sadness, Sadness Part 1, apparently was a giant hit. It was the number one in 24 countries, peak number five in the U.S. Okay. Not a one-hit wonder. Not a one-hit wonder, but this song in particular, Sadness, Sadness Part 1, should not have been a hit. It like it, It's a great song. I've listened to it multiple times now, and it's really grown on me. I, I cannot tell you for the life of me why this song was popular. It was definitely a dance song, and it definitely came out of like the Euro trance scene, and that certainly helped it pro- propel it to number one in many countries. Uh, it, it's still a very weird song, though. Like Return to Innocence, it features chants. In this song, it's the Gregorian chants. Uh, it has a flute that reminds me a lot of the Super Nintendo version of Donkey Kong and their music, which I do love. I, this song resonates with me, but I, again, I could not tell you. I, I couldn't explain to you why this song would be at all popular. Do you know the song? Did no, you know I did it? not know the song originally, okay. but it, we will come back to Pure Moods and explain to <laughs> folks that might not be familiar what Pure Moods is. Uh, oh, but I can't sad, wait. Sadness, Sadness Part 1, radio edit. Uh, does appear on on pure mute so i'm gonna play a little bit for you just so you can get uh, a vibe okay oh uh, yeah i know this i do i thought i did when the chanting came in but now it's a beat yeah I don't remember the context I know it in. I mean, it's kind of a cool song, and it, it, it goes in different directions. I don't uh, know. I but mean, still, how in the hell did that become a hit? I could see it being tied to, like, a film or something, but I can't imagine it, even if it were popular in certain circles, especially in that time, then it gets to pop radio. I can't imagine these pop music directors being like, yeah, throw it on. Yeah, apparently it was a... Uh, <laughs> it was like a smash hit, too. So... Yeah. Wow. We could have done, done two different episodes here. Yeah, well, they, they do kind of, I mean, I think they kind of correlate because they do. they're very similar they in a lot of ways. <laughs> they are. It's and chanting over a breakbeat. Yeah. Um, but this song, so we're going to go down a, a bit of a rabbit hole. Oh, I, I'm ready. I'm ready. for. I'm diving into the rabbit hole. <laughs> so this song, Sadness in Germany, uh, it was written as Sadness Part 1 in the United Kingdom and Japan. And it is uh, from one of the websites that I pulled from. It's a sensual track based around questioning the sexual desires of uh, Marquis de Sade, I believe is how you would say it, Um, hence the German name Sadness, as opposed to the English version of Sadness used in the UK release. The track reached number one faster than any new release in German history. What? Before its video clip had even been finished. Now that references, I believe... Faster than David Hasselhoff. Well, apparently, yes. And <laughs> um, I guess, you know, time-wise, faster than 99 balloons. Um The record company, Virgin Records, had done virtually no promotion on the song. Sales took off purely on the strength of the radio and club play. Nothing to recoup. Didn't spend a dime. Just money. Just gravy. <laughs> Just gravy. Well, we'll we'll get back to that. I don't believe our our boy Michael <laughs> made a ton of money off his songs because uh, <clears throat> he stole a lot of them. So <laughs> they uh, did a review for one uh, one of the reviews I found for for this first album. Enigma attempts to fuse everything from easy listening sex music and hip hop rhythms to centuries old Gregorian chants. Couldn't have been more designed to tweak the nose of high art. A joyless crass stab straight at the mainstream. 
do not pass go, do not collect $200. The result is something that shouldn't exist, but in its own way, results in as much of a cultural scramble and explosion as anything public enemy were doing around the same time, um, crossing over the Euro disco and the New Age spheres with style. A little bit of a stretch. I mean, a Although I'd love to get Chuck D's thoughts on that. <laughs> it's a little bit of a grandstanding there, but okay. Uh, uh, can you imagine going into a 90s record store or section at a big box store media play and going, yeah, where's the easy listening sex music? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I think easy listening, as we'll soon find out. You'd have to have a ponytail and you definitely uh, use a lot of oils. Yes, 100%. Our boy, uh, Michael Kretsu, <laughs> he's quoted by saying, I conceived of the whole album as a single song. The words and sounds are like flashlight beams. They do not show you everything. You have to look at what's between the lines. It's a mixture of 6th century Gregorian chants, bewitching French whispers, provided by Kretsu's wife Sandra, and hypnotic ethereal music set to intoxicating dance rhythms. 1990 AD is definitely more a cathartic oral journey than a collection of individual songs. Oral or oral? Uh, oral. <laughs> well, hey! <laughs> Michael and Sandra, wild sex life. It's gotta be. <laughs> As I said, this song references uh, the Marquis de Sade, who I was not aware of. Uh, I don't know if you you were aware of this uh, so. this French individual. It is a. Uh, it's also the name of a French post punk band. So okay, of course. Don't get confused there. But the real Marquis de Sade was alive during the uh, mid to late 1700s into the early 1800s. He was a French nobleman, revolutionary politician, philosopher, and writer, famous for his libertine sexuality. Desaad is best known for his erotic works, okay. which combine philosophical discourse with pornography, depicting sexual fantasies with an emphasis on violence, suffering, oh. anal sex, oh. which he called sodomy, crime, and blasphemy against Christianity. He was a proponent of absolute freedom, unrestrained by morality, religion, or law. The words sadism and sadist are derived in reference uh, to the works of fiction that he wrote, portrayed numerous acts of sexual cruelty. He's the S&M OG. Yeah. And that is a bit of inspiration for Enigma. <laughs> Not so much of an Enigma. Not so much. Not so much. Uh, but it does help us set the scene for Return to Innocence. So uh, a little about Enigma in general. Like I said, German music project formed in 1990 by Michael Kretsu, who was a uh, producer. Uh, Kretsu pursued an early goal of becoming a, a concert pianist by studying classical music, and then he got into producing, uh, and then he wanted to start this whole new age music. I saw one quote from him that uh, his desire was to make music that did not obey the old rules and habits and presented a new form of artistic expression with mystic and experiential components. Old rules and habits have to be rejected and dismissed so that something new can be created. So he's approaching music like Mr. 1700 Sadist approached sex. I guess so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, All right. Kretsu explained to Billboard at one point that I have created a complete piece of music that I wanted to let stand alone. There is a sense of mystery in the music that I wanted to leave untouched by the perceptions and preconceived ideas that come with the past history of a producer or a songwriter. He continued, contrary to the usual 
record company philosophy, people are open-minded and starved for something unique. This is music that is different from any other available at the moment. I think people have responded to that. And responded they did, because his music was very popular. (laughs) I'm trying to just picture this guy and his life. If you look at pictures of him, he's got, he had great hair, at least back in the 80s, early 90s. Just like a good old curly mullet style. Kind of Kenny G-ish, if you will. More mullet, though. More mullet. Hey, two sensual 90s guys. Yeah. Well, and they have a connection later on. Yes. Um, So, Return to Innocence. Returning to our, our, our song of the episode here. Returning to Return to Innocence. Exactly. So, this was on their second album, or his second album, their second album. The Cross of Changes is the name of this album. Not as unique as the first one, if you ask me. Right. This is a, from a website that was looking back at this song, and the quote is that this song, Return to Innocence, is all about getting back in touch with who you really are and what you're really capable of before life or people told you something different. It's a deep song. <laughs> That's how I feel when I listen to it. 100%. Anytime it comes on. <laughs> the main line of the song, one of the main lines is, death is not the beginning of the end. That's the return to yourself. The return to innocence. Wait, are there lyrics to this song other than the chanting? Yeah. When? Sandra, I believe, his wife, is the one that sings some of these lyrics. I don't remember this song having lyrics <laughs> pull, pull up the pull up the video just so you can get the full experience here uh we, we can watch it right now you know why not oh yeah i've definitely seen this yeah it was familiar to me i think like i had seen it but i really enjoyed the rewatch the whole video reminded me a little bit of like a like a smashing pumpkin style video of the yeah time. i could see that honestly so far really cool video very cool video and i can understand why because the record company clearly has to spend zero money to market him, so they might as well spend a fuck ton of money on the video. What year is this? 94. 94. So you very well may be watching MTV. You see a Smashing Pumpkins video. You see a, a Tupac video. Mm-hmm. And then Return to Which, Innocence. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, it does have Larry. I don't know why I didn't remember this. Yeah, of course. I don't think I would have remembered that if not for listening to it. They kind of take a backseat, even in the mix. Like, the lyrics aren't up front. You're right, yeah. Which feels very purposeful. It feels like the band in general was all about having, like, lyrics were not necessarily the focus. Mm-hmm. They were one part of many pieces coming into a, a full experience. Very, like, Sigurus in nature, where the vocals are an uh instrument, not the piece. Yeah, I could I could see that. There is a unicorn in this video. We should, we should tell people. There is a unicorn. It's like... A bunch of farmers plowing fields, plucking chickens, cooking, and then a unicorn. And it's all backwards. We should. It we is should all backward. People. Water moving upward, fruit moving upward uh, after it fell from a tree, bread coming back together, uh, and then a unicorn. <laughs> There's a unicorn. There's a unicorn again. Definitely just a white horse that they put a big horn on. But it's on the farm. Like, it's like this farm with regular animals and one unicorn. Oh, a wedding? Well, he's going back in his life. This is him. We've seen right. him and his wife and their relationship. And now we're going back to the wedding. Now we're going back to the uh, fornication prior to the wedding, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, we're talking about Michael and Sandra here. We are. Very uh, liberal sexual beings. Two of the most sensual people of our time. <laughs> I have no idea what 
time period this video is supposed to be they're all dressed like the 1700s yet there's lipstick and i just saw a car they're cutting people's hair that sweater is very 90s (laughs) this song returned innocence um features a couple samples as does many enigma songs because it's kind of their thing uh this song in particular the drum beat of the song is sampled from a Led Zeppelin song. Oh, when the levee breaks. When the levee breaks. Yep. That um, makes sense. I was about to say those drums are huge. Uh-huh. So it's the same sample as Beastie Boys, So What You Want. Oh, interesting. I didn't know Which had to have come out like right around the same time. Yeah. Must have been. So the chanting um, is also sampled. I would imagine. Yes. <laughs> that comes from an elderly couple, Defong and Ige Duanya, or... Uh, their last name would be pronounced uh, Kuo, which would be the Chinese name and the Chinese uh, pronunciation. So okay. they are a part of the Amis, Amis people, which um, was an Austro, uh, Austronesian ethnic group in Taiwan. The Amis are the largest indigenous minority group among the 12 officially recognized uh, aboriginal tribes in Taiwan. So the, the Kuo's were farmers. Uh, and they were also a folk duo. They sang a, a handful of different uh, notable songs, if huh. you will. This couple sounds awesome. Yes, they do. And uh, this song in particular, the chant, comes from what is called either the Elders Drinking Song or Jubilant Drinking Song. I found two different uh, two different uh, translations there. Um, Our kind of song is what you're saying. It's a hard kind of song. And uh, yeah, it, it, it uh, connects back to old episodes. It's it's very similar to uh, Tub Thumping here. Also, we had two English episodes and then two German episodes. That's a good point. That was unintentional. Unintentional. But there's always these like weird little connections. I there. love it. So the, the QOs were in a cultural exchange program in Paris in 1988 when their performance of the song, the Elders Drinking Song or Jubilant Drinking Song, was recorded by... Maison de Culture de Monde, and later distributed on CD. However, that was also possibly disputed. I also read that this recording that is sampled in Return to Innocence may have been recorded in 78 or 79, and it would have been included. I think there was a, a recording by the, the QOs on an album titled Chinese Folk Music Collection, published by the Chinese Folk Foundation. So there are two possible albums that the song would have been or you know it's pre-internet so you gotta imagine that like kretsu found the cd liked what he heard he sampled the song on return to innocence uh which is all fine and dandy because he thought that this chant and this song was in public domain because it is an old taiwanese traditional folk song however in certain countries uh, you cannot use the recording right the the publishing would be free but the master recording is not free yes so mr kretsu was sued by the taiwanese musicians over unauthorized usage of their song without credit now this is not the first time yeah, get it you get it exactly this is not the first time kretsu had been sued uh on the original album the first album in 91 kretsu was sued by the uh, munich-based choir capella antiqua and its record label polydor for infringing its rights of personality through distortion in the samples used in Sadness Part 1 and Mea Culpa Part 2. These samples were taken from Capella Antiqua's 1976 LP, 
While the music compositions were in public domain, Capella Antiqua's recordings of them were copyrighted. Wow, this guy just really didn't understand basic copyright law whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> he did not. I don't think he gave a shit. Since he sampled all kinds of stuff. This case, uh, the, the, the case with the, the Amis, the, the QOs, uh, was settled out of court for an undisclosed amount of money, and all further releases of that song then credited the QOs. Gotcha. Uh, Kretsu stated that he had, he had been led to believe that the recording wasn't public domain and that he did not intentionally violate the QO's copyright. Uh, he led to believe by whom? Well, he claimed that he had purchased the right to use the song from a French organization named Maison des Cultures des Mondes, which oh, may right. have been the connection with the, this cultural exchange program that the QOs were a part of. They had no idea for a long time mm-hmm. that their song was used, um, you know, because they came, went back to Taiwan and they just weren't listening to German pop music at the time, I guess. Until they saw a movie trailer for a movie with Jonathan Taylor Thomas and Chevy Chase or something. Well, bigger than that, uh, this song in 1996 was the anthem to the Olympics. Oh, really? The Summer Olympics in huh. Atlanta. And that's what really made this song kind of like become a worldwide hit, I believe. Mm. Uh, and that is when the, the QOs were, were turned on to the fact that uh, their voices were being used in a giant hit. Hey, long day farming. You're trying to settle down and just check out the Olympics, Mm -hmm. have a drink, and then your drinking song is on the Olympics. Exactly. But the cool part about the QOs, um, from everything that I read about them, is that they they didn't necessarily want credit for the songs uh, for themselves. They wanted the the Amish people to be credited. Um, Oh, that's cool. And from from what I read, any money that they got, they established a foundation to preserve the Amish culture uh, in general and, and their music in particular. I think I read something from their lawyer that stated uh, that that the QOs wanted the song to generate more interest in the culture of their tribe, which they felt was slowly disappearing. And although the couple passed away in 2002, Mr. QO's childhood friends and elder members of the Mylon Choir have vowed to continue singing the, the Amish songs and make their beautiful voices heard. What a wonderful way for them to handle that. That's That's inspiring. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought as well. I have a feeling that Michael didn't really care too much about looking into copyright law because it is the one of the least sexy topics, and he's just a sexy guy. He doesn't have time for this stuff. It's a very good point. Copyright law doesn't fuck. You know, you know, no one's ever like, oh, copyright <laughs> law fucks. Some lawyers do, I guess, but not Kretsu. Not not the sensual being Kretsu. <laughs> Definitely not. No one has ever described it in that way. So why is the song popular? Uh, I think we answered it to an extent. I think it really comes from the popularity of Sadness Number One. Uh, why that one's popular? Couldn't fucking tell you. But but this is this is like the follow up. This hit. is the follow up hit. That's even um, and I, and I did find that uh, while the Europeans knew Kretsu's identity, early U.S. press information, I would assume, probably for the first album. Enigma was billed as a creation of a German producer who preferred to remain anonymous. So maybe there was a... They wanted him to be an Enigma. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So maybe that was like built some of the hype. I, I do think that that, you know, because it was like a trance dance time, this would have been more popular on the face than we would look back and think. But but still, both of these songs are wildly weird to be like massive hit. Yes. A couple other fun tidbits uh, here. So 1990 the album <laughs> i believe it's a quote from kretsu uh was like revenge against everything i was hearing 
I didn't want to write songs. I wanted to write moods. And then when this writer drew comparisons to the way pop icons Madonna and Prince explored sexuality, Cressu replied, what Madonna and Prince did is pure marketing. It's predicated on causing scandal. It's not a sexual music that I did. It's a sensual music. And there's a big difference. Those are fighting words. Yeah, they are fighting words. Now, some radio stations in Europe with a large Catholic audience did not see the difference between sexual and sensual. And they banned Satanist Part 1, considering it pure blasphemy. Because it just sounded so sexy? I I think just because the connection to uh, (laughs) Satanist behavior. uh, (laughs) There there was a Dutch (laughs) national radio network, uh, Tros, that received three bomb threats from listeners said to be shocked by what they heard when the record was proclaimed single of the week, <laughs> prompting Kretsu to issue a statement refuting rumors about satanic Oh my god. Material. So I say all of that because I do feel like maybe some of that controversy made people feel, uh, I don't know, they wanted to listen to the album more. Let me get this straight. This song is blasphemy because of its sensuality. But bombing a radio station? No problem. Well, you know... Yeah. It checks out. <laughs> yeah, the, the, there are some people with strong religious and political views that get them a little bit mixed up uh, as you get down the, the, the lane there. This review would have been about Return to Innocence, I believe, that I found interesting. This was Michael Friedberg, uh, I think, for Pulse magazine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kretsu's Wagoneering Symphonies, crisscrossed by sleazy beats and train-like machinations, Feel enough like midnight to make you dance across the scene with your headset on. Evidently, others were dancing with him. The cross of changes went platinum in the United States just seven weeks after its release and returned to innocence, reached gold status one month later in July of 1994. Wow. So already gold in the Olympics are 96. It's two years later. Mm-hmm. So this flew up the charts. Um, it was number one in over 10 countries, including Ireland. Norway, Sweden, and Zimbabwe. It was number three on the UK singles charts and top five in several countries, including Canada, Germany, and New Zealand. It also reached number 20 in France, number two in the Euro charts. Dang. For America, number four in Billboard Hot 100, number six on mainstream top 40. Wow. At the time, number one was a, just like a, a massive hit, uh, The Sign by Ace of Base. Followed by Bump and Grind by oh, R. Kelly, The Most Beautiful Girl in the World by Prince, and then Return to Innocence by Enigma. Oh, so talking shit on Prince, you can't bump him off the number three spot. That's karma. Can't do it. That's Prince can't karma. Do it. And, and floating around there, by the way, side note, at number six, Dummies, which I cannot wait to cover. Because we have got to talk about that song. <laughs> oh, there's that, that might be like a three-hour episode. <laughs> I mean, it, but it, it also could be a two-minute episode where we just play the song and say, how the fuck was this popular? <laughs> oh, man. I kind of uh, like it, though. All right, but uh, Return to Innocence, it is, as, you, as we talked about a little bit, it's been in a lot of movies and TV shows. Wait, before we get into yeah. the movies, um, I got to get another beer. Oh, get another beer. So I'm going I'm to do that. I guess I'll pour some more. I'll pour some more beer as well. Yo, just jamming out to Enigma over here. So, Mike, what are you drinking over there? Oh, I have uh, another beer from our pals at Sierra Nevada. Oh shit! 
Yeah, I like what I like what they're doing. This one's the hazy little thing IPA. Um, yeah, just a nice little sessionable, unfiltered pale ale. Hazies are all the rage right now. I'm into it. Like they it. really are, and I am into that as well. Oh, we're about to get into all the movies that this that Return to Innocence. Is I, in. I'm sure I'm missing a lot. So when it comes to movies, you know what I found was that it was used in the closing theme in Disney's live action film Man of the House. Which I do not remember. Wait, so I was right. I was right. As what? Isn't that isn't that the <laughs> movie with Jonathan Taylor Thomas and Chevy Chase? Oh, you are correct. You are correct. Uh, I haven't seen that movie, I think, since I saw it in the theater with my grandma whenever it came out. And I can't believe I remember that that song is in that movie. That is... Man of the House is a 1995 American comedy film starring Chevy Chase, Farrah Fawcett, <laughs> and Jonathan Taylor Thomas. The film is about a Why boy, know Thomas... Who must come to terms with his potential stepfather, Chevy Chase, a well-meaning lawyer who is unknowingly the subject of a manhunt by relatives of a man he helped land in prison, shot in Los Angeles, California, and Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. I, I can't remember things that are pertinent to my life, in my daily life, yet. Yes, but we do remember things that were foundational in our childhood, and Jonathan Taylor Thomas was foundational. In our childhood. Wow, I am shocked and amazed that I immediately related that song to that movie. I was kidding earlier. I was like, oh yeah, that's a movie I thought. I was like, you know, some <laughs> some like Disney teen movie with John Taylor Thomas and Jeffy Chase. But I was right. You were you were dead on. Uh, it was also featured in uh, opening and closing of an Outer Limits episode, mm-hmm. and it was also featured in an episode of My So-Called Life. Oh, very which 90s. Which I loved that show, and I had such a crush on the main character, who I did not know. Claire Danes. What's Claire Danes? Yeah. I, I didn't connect the dots. I, I Claire Danes and uh, Jared Leto. Yeah. Great show. As I mentioned, it was also featured in the 1996 Summer Olympics. It was the... I don't know if it was a theme song or it was in a major television commercial, but it definitely like reblossomed. The big opening ceremony they do the dance. There's always a song. Maybe that was what it was. It might have been. One year it, it was Kate Bush. Oh. was the was the song for that. Interesting. Oh, were they? Was it in Europe? The, the London Summer Olympics? Mm, I think so. Yeah. Somehow, uh, 1994, Atlanta, Georgia, United States. We went with a Romanian German song. But sure, why not? Because because there's not a lot of good American songs that um, are about like you know Olympic endeavors. <laughs> I like that you're in Atlanta, one of the uh, greatest music cities in the United States, and we're going with some sensual new age from Germany. But you know, it is a global song, <laughs> bringing together uh, un- unknowingly bringing together uh, Taiwanese uh, indigenous people. I, I, I kind of get the global aspect of the song, to be honest. Yeah, which I think was uh, Kretsu's goal was to kind of bring together um, generations uh, of different musics uh, into one kind of new age format yeah he just didn't want to pay for it right well, of course not he was too busy man he was too busy being being sensual not sexual being sensual <laughs> um we cannot talk about this song uh, and we cannot talk about things that were foundational in our young lives without talking about probably the reason that i know this song so well is because this song was the first song on the Pure Moods compilation. <laughs> and I know, I know you moods. know Pure Moods. Anyone, anyone in our age range knows Pure Moods because there's a compilation that was sold on TV. It was a TV mm-hmm. commercial 
and it was on <laughs> all the time. The commercial is it's almost etched in my brain. I say almost because I rewatched it today, and I was actually surprised at some of the songs that were on there. Uh, I, I believe you should just watch the commercial because I think it's really. Uh, oh, I'm so in. Shoot me that link. But there's a Vice article that came out last March, uh, and it was entitled uh, "Revisiting Pure Moods in the Age of Coronavirus," and it was, came out March 18th of 2020. So, uh, Larry Fitzmaurice. Larry Fitzmaurice. Very, very early in the in the quarantine, he was like, "I'm I'm jumping in." So, uh, rewatch this Pure Moods commercial. There it is. So. It starts in the commercial with a unicorn. Where time drifts yeah, a world where music carries you away. Oh man, this is bringing back so many memories of watching it's cable right? way too late. Moods, right? The perfect soundtrack for your way of life. So, we'll oh, just, yeah. I want to break down every it's part of this commercial because for those that are not familiar. You just need to go back and watch it. I mean, this uh, there could be a whole podcast about pure moods. I, there could be uh, definitely a lot of episodes about some of the songs I listen here. To because some of these songs were oh, the X Files theme is on here. The oh, X Files theme Byrne song. Oh, the uh, the Twin Peaks theme is on here. Huh? Pure moods. Wow. But I just want to talk about like the the uh, voiceover for this commercial opens up with. Imagine a world where time drifts slowly. The perfect soundtrack to your way of life. <laughs> and then I like I go direct from Europe. This multi-platinum collection has won the hearts of millions. And then set adrift with the timeless pleasures of tubular bells. Now, first off, tubular bells was the theme to the Exorcist. Like <laughs> if you've remotely connected that song with the Exorcist, there's no way you can hear that song and be like drifted away in some timeless magical world. All you can think about is that little girl fucking flipping over backwards and spraying shit out of her mouth. So that don't, that's not very pure moods to me. Oh, it's uh, a mood. It's a mood. It's a mood. <laughs> pure moods also features um the theme of the Exorcist. It features Enya. Uh it features a Kenny G banger. As you mentioned, the theme of the X-Files, theme of Twin Peaks. When, when we were younger, in 94, there was no escape in this commercial. And for, for the generation behind us, I don't think they... I guess they do kind of know what this was like. But there are still commercials like this that sell things on TV. But it, it's just such a funny, like, of the time. Because the commercial ends with saying, like, To order, call the number on your screen or send a check or money order. Rush delivery available. Call now. Because those things always took like eight weeks to deliver somehow. But I need pure moods now, Ted. I need, need it. I now. need it in my life. And I'm going to pay the seventeen ninety nine for the CD, the $10 for the rush shipping, and I better get some kind of free gift in there. That's true. There was, we'll throw in pure moods, too. Uh, the cassette was fifteen ninety nine, and the CD was seventeen ninety nine. We definitely had the CD. Oh, wow. I remember seeing it in my... My dad was definitely into some like that new age stuff. He went through like Kenny G, John Tesh, Yanni phase. I was going to say, John, is John Tesh on Pure Moods? I don't think John Tesh is. Uh, Yanni is, I believe. Uh, I did appreciate in this Vice article where we rediscover Pure Moods in the age of coronavirus. The way he describes it is on the surface, Pure Moods scans a physical product era equivalent of a of of the or a lo-fi hip hop radio to relax or study to. YouTube loop or Spotify channel, a Apple music channel, an exercise in uniform vibe setting filtered primarily through nineties mm-hmm. new age music instead of current day chill wave variants. But a lot of those chill wave variants came from the permutes 
There would be no washed out if there weren't pure moods. 100%. I was thinking this earlier. Do you think that without Enigma, we would have Moby? Moby's like biggest hits are samples over similar beats. And some of them are like kind of chant oriented sort of stuff. It's very similar to this. Yes, because Moby was coming up around this time as well. Okay. But his like big hits were after this and they're pretty similar to this. It is. But the, I mean, it's very similar to this. The only reason I wouldn't, I would say that I don't know that I would fully credit Kretsu for Moby is that they were, they were coming up very much in the same period. I mean, Moby was DJing and doing all these similar things in New York in the 80s already. I don't know. You might have already read about this, but I wonder when trip hop started to be uh, a popular genre. Because this is the breakbeat with the piano and some of the sounds uh, and the strings. It's got some trip hop vibes. Like you could you could kind of compare it to Massive Attack or yeah. Um, yeah. you know some of the other trip hop artists. I bet I bet some of that. I bet some of that was more. You can credit that would be more inspired by Enigma. Yeah. Because I think what, what Kretsu and what Enigma did was very groundbreaking mm-hmm. uh, and totally counterculture and totally out of nowhere and somehow became fucking massively famous. Michael Kretsu is still alive. He was last on the charts in 2016. They Enigma had another album come out and I believe it went number one on the dance. The first uh, Enigma number one in 13 years. It was top on the uh, dance electronic albums. They uh, it went number one because it sold five thousand copies, which shows you the difference between now and nineteen ninety four. Yeah, I don't think people were buying uh, the eighteen dollar cassette at one in the morning over the phone. They were not. They were not. Uh, Overall, though, Enigma has sold over eight point five million certified albums in the U.S. and an estimated seventy million worldwide. Plus all of the royalties from Pure Moods. Satanist number one is also on Pure Moods. So Enigma had two songs on Pure Moods, um, both of which he stole from. So uh, he probably got some money, but not all of it. The the Of course. The most sensual thief that I've heard of. It might be one of the reasons why you cannot find the actual Pure Moods on Spotify or Apple Music or oh. anywhere you might find music. Um, there are playlists, obviously, right. featuring all the songs. Um but uh, the compilation itself is not found anywhere. I'm sure that's... I guarantee you can still buy a Pyramid CD at Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> Probably. On the, on, the little, on the little display where you can listen I'm to I'm going to bring my big 20% coupon to Bed Bath & Beyond and pick myself up a copy then. So, mailbag. Time for the mailbag. This comes from us from listener Kelly in Maryland, apparently. Kelly says, maybe I missed it, but I don't think you guys referenced when the band Fun sampled the English translation of 99 Loof Balloons in their song, Some Nights. Keep the episodes coming, Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. I didn't realize that. I, I mean, I guess I maybe did, but I did not remember it when we talked about it, certainly. For our uh, our listeners here, yeah, Nate Roos from Fun sings two lines from 99 Red Balloons, the English version, in Fun's mega hit, Some Nights. Let this be a lesson for you, Michael Kretsu, when you use someone else's art. <laughs> you fucking credit them. Thank you, Fun. Thank you, Fun, for giving a lesson to our 90s hit maker, Michael Kretsu. It sounds like that was another win for Nina, is uh, getting paid from that huge Fun hit. I have another mailbag here. Oh, we have an, an additional... We have an additional uh, message from uh, Jonathan in Brooklyn, New York. Hi, uh, Jonathan says... Long-time listener, first-time caller, big fan. 
I've seen every episode of Star Trek, the original series, and unless I'm wrong, which is possible, of course, there's no episode with red balloons, which we did. We, we mentioned that there might. We mentioned that there was a connection with 99 red balloons to Star Trek. Neither of us being Star Trek fans, we couldn't pinpoint that, but apparently there is no reference. Uh, Jonathan continues, there is a popular trope in the show, though, that security officers wear red shirts, hmm. and whenever there's a landing party that goes to explore a new world, it's guaranteed that the nameless red shirt character you've never met is going to die. Huh. So there may be a connection there. Maybe that's that's where it was, and it was just, uh, it's been a game of telephone for however long. And they mentioned Captain Kirk in the Oh, okay. That helps, too. Um, we also struggled yeah. at the end to think of another foreign language song that was popular around or before that time. John points out that La Bamba oh, was a Spanish language hit before 1982, and yeah. that is very true. Absolutely. There are probably so there are several others. others. So thank you for those who who write in and critique us. Feel free to write in and critique us uh, if anyone knows a lot about Michael Kretzu, or if anyone knows Michael Kretzu, uh, we would love to speak to him. <laughs> Man, I, I'm so glad we talked about this song. I knew it was going to come up eventually, uh, but it was kind of a twofer. Yeah, I wanted to do something different, and I wanted to do something that wasn't like a you know like a pop pop hit. But it turns out that this it was a pop hit. Surprised mm-hmm. me, and yeah, it turns out there was two songs. And I honestly thought this episode would be kind of short because I didn't think there'd be much to talk about. But thanks to there are sensual Michael Kretzu uh, and his uh, affinity for stealing songs we were able to to hit a lot of points here well that and the and the the, the world context the uh the snm i mean there's really a lot going on around this song uh, and i would imagine that michael leads an interesting life i imagine he does i imagine he does he's definitely one of the guys he's in like a german nightclub in one of those booths that you can see that's like higher up they're getting bottle service he's got his ponytail he's got his really shiny shirt and there's all these people around him and you walk in there and someone's like, who's that guy? It's like, dude, that's the Enigma guy. That's the pure moods guy. You don't know Kretzu? 100%. Popping bottles. <laughs> I bet he is still massive in the club scene. Uh, he's probably boys with Moby. <laughs> he's probably also done a ton of ecstasy. Oh, yeah. A lot of bro. A lot of bro. I started listening to, to more Enigma today just to get in the vibe. Um, it's weird. It's strange. And uh, I kind of like it. kind of like it a lot. I don't know. Something about it. It's something about the new age hits are a bit timeless. Return to Innocence reminded me of my innocence when I was a young child, staying up late, watching Pure <laughs> Moods. I think you're right. It is. It's nostalgic. This song's pretty timeless because there's still a lot of music that sounds like this. And I feel like if this came out now, it'd probably get covered in pitchfork. I guess that it's nostalgic for me since I remember this movie. I'm pretty sure I've only seen it once, maybe twice, has it in it. That's been like lodged in my brain probably clogging something up where like tomorrow i'm going to remember something profound because i finally thought about this enigma song that is in the jonathan taylor thomas movie from yep. 1995 so i'm looking forward to the clear thinking <laughs> i gotta ask you are you feeling sensual a bit from our awesome farmer folk hero friends who sound yeah, incredible shout out to the qos they sound like they would get along with chumbawamba yeah probably you know i became a chumby after our tubbing episode you are now an Enigma fan, and uh, Enigma Martin, as they call them. <laughs> an Enigma Martin. Uh, <laughs> on that note. <laughs> oh, man. Good stuff. That's a wrap on this episode of You Wanted a Hit. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. 
good luck getting Return to Innocence or Sadness Part 1 out of your head. Please remember to subscribe so you know when the next episode is out. And if you listen on Apple, write a review. But only if it's nice. Follow us on Twitter at YWAHpod and let us know what you think. Or tell us what we missed by sending us an email at ywahpod at gmail.com. We welcome any suggestions for songs for future episodes, so bring them on. And lastly, share with a friend if you had a good time. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Beidler. And our theme music is by Air Doctor. We'll see you next time.